This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungle's closing in? You crave wide-open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air? Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, Land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to Land.com, find your open space, and get out there. LL Flooring tiene todo lo que los profesionales de pisos necesitan para mantener los proyectos de sus clientes en marcha. Visite su tienda local o llflooring.com para un piso de calidad que está en stock y listo para usar. Además, obtenga los accesorios para terminar el trabajo a precios exclusivos para profesionales. Y LL Flooring ofrece entrega en el lugar de trabajo a una tarifa plana para ahorrarle tiempo y dinero. Lumber Liquidators es ahora LL Flooring. Sobre estos pisos se construyen hogares. Maybe it had been the effects of an unusually dry summer causing unfamiliar variations in the colour of the grass. Or perhaps it was just the way the light had fallen that morning which caused Donald to take notice. Either way, if there was one thing the three farmers, now standing over the peculiar impression in the ground, could agree on, it was that none of them had seen it before. Donald had called on them as soon as he'd found it that morning, suggesting they come and check it out for themselves. Seemingly manufactured, it looked like a 13-foot wide circle had been carved into the ground, positioned in a small clearing under the bough of a large, solitary oak. It was certainly strange that they hadn't come across it before. All three of them had lived and worked on the island for a number of years, and with it being just over 140 acres worth of land, there was barely an inch of it that they hadn't seen. Being first and second generation immigrants themselves, the men knew only too well how transitory the local population had been through the years. But since the island was thought to have been entirely uninhabited prior to its incorporation only a few decades ago, they were stumped as to what the strange marking could be. Maybe it was just a well, or some kind of fire pit, suggested one of the men, that had long since been filled in. An ancient burial mound, perhaps, suggested another. The year was 1795, and the place a two-and-a-half-kilometre-long island known locally as Oak Island. 
Situated just 200 metres off the east coast of a stretch of land recent settlers had called Nova Scotia. Perhaps it shouldn't have been such a surprise for Donald to have stumbled on something so strange that morning, for the island had always been somewhat of an enigma, a stranger in the midst. The clue was in the name, Oak Island. Inspired by the interloping evergreen oaks, that were dotted all across it. Reaching upwards of 90 feet, with bare trunks and flat, splayed-out canopies, they dwarfed the many surrounding pine trees that were far more common to the region. In fact, it is said that Oak Island was the only island out of 364 in the surrounding Mahone Bay that was home to such a species. Perhaps they had pondered on this, when they decided to make a quick excavation of the area that morning, to see what they might find. Or perhaps they did not. Nonetheless, there was little chance they could possibly have anticipated just quite what was going to happen next. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. Into the Abyss, Part 1 The men had only made it two feet down when one of them struck something hard. Assuming it to be a large rock, he tried digging a few feet to the side only to hit something similar again. It wasn't until they'd cleared more of the earth away that they discovered the entire area of the circle had been covered over with flat stones. After removing the slabs, a few more hours of digging revealed some kind of pit that seemed to narrow to about seven foot in diameter under the flagstones, with the soil having been obviously displaced and refilled before it was easy to follow the contours of the original dig. Pickaxe markings on the inside of the wall gave further indication of the previous excavator's work. By the afternoon, having reached just under ten feet in depth, one of the men struck something solid again. Clearing the mud away, they found a layer of rotting timbers that had been carefully positioned deep below the surface. Believing they might finally have an answer to the purpose of the pit, the men pulled up the wood, only to find an empty two-foot pocket of air underneath. Undeterred, they continued to dig until the early evening, making it a further eight feet down, when once again their shovels struck timber. Utterly perplexed, the men pulled up the next row of logs, only to find nothing but dirt underneath. With the light fading quickly, and not having ladders long enough to dig any further, the men call it a day. Any suggestion of the pit being a burial chamber has been thoroughly dispelled, since despite being 20 feet down already, they had found nothing to show for their efforts. But in the days that followed, slowly, something began to dawn on them. A clear reason why someone might go to all the trouble of digging a secret pit on the edge of a tiny, nondescript island and fortifying it to keep it safe.
Back in 1701, in the city of London, a man had been condemned to death and eventually hung at the infamous execution dock located in Wapping on the banks of the River Thames. His name was William Kidd. And, like many of the unfortunates for whom execution dock would be their final destination, he was a pirate. There was much a victim as he was a participant of the rampant scheming and corruption perpetuated by British gentry in matters of trade and expansion. Kidd had nonetheless exhausted all favours by the time the noose was placed around his neck. And though his life would be short, his legend was only just beginning. It had long been suspected that Captain Kidd had buried a significant portion of his stolen wealth in an effort to curry favour lest he ever be captured. Indeed, a large stash of it had already been discovered shortly before his execution on Gardner's Island, a small outcrop at the northern tip of New York State. But few believed there wasn't more. And if you were looking for somewhere to hide a treasure trove of gold and jewels, far from the usual shipping lanes of the trade, as Donald, Anthony and John would shortly come to believe, you couldn't have found a better spot than the anonymity and seclusion of Oak Island. Returning to the site a few days later, convinced of their destiny, the men managed a further 15 feet, but were left disappointed, finding only another shelf of timber. Frustrated and realising they had neither the skill or the financial means to carry on, the men were forced to bring an end to their adventure. Or so they had all told each other. In truth, John Smith had very different ideas. Over the next few years, Smith surreptitiously secured ownership of the pit, buying up the land and a number of the plots around it. Finally, by 1803, along with three other investors with whom he formed the Onslow Company, he was ready to tackle the mystery again. Before long, they had made it to another five feet down, where again they find yet another floor of timbers. But this time, there is something else. A layer of charcoal scattered across the top of it. Since it was common to use charcoal fires to draw fresh air into mining shafts, it was now clearer than ever that a significant operation had once taken place here. The company soon make it to almost 90 feet in depth, uncovering a further four timber shelves, each at 10 foot intervals. And incredibly, layers of coconut fibres, suggesting that whatever was down there had likely travelled from some distance, the nearest coconut trees being thousands of miles away. Not only that, but as the men well know, coconut fibres were often used to pack precious cargo. Then, at 90 feet down, they find something extraordinary. Having anticipated finding another layer of wood, the team instead find a thick slab of stone, measuring two feet long and one foot wide. Peeling it carefully from the mud, they are astonished to find there is an inscription carved onto its underside. Only it's not in any language that they have ever seen before. 
made from 39 geometric symbols, spaced out over what seems like eight words. It appears to be some kind of code. A short time later, the workers notice water seeping up from under the hole, but decide to ignore it and continue to dig. That afternoon, at roughly 98 feet, once again the shovels hit wood and a ninth timber platform is unearthed. After prising the logs apart, only to find more mud and clay below, the team finish for the day, convinced they are only feet away from the objects of their wildest desires. Spirits are understandably high when the crew return to work the following morning, only to find a solemn-looking John Smith waiting for them by the pit, wringing his hat in his hands. The pit has completely filled with water. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc Therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. All hands work furiously to bail out the water, but the level refuses to budge. With no other option, the company pulls the rest of their money and hires a mechanical pump. The plan works perfectly as the water is soon drained from the pit. But then, with only eight more feet to go, disaster strikes when the pump breaks down. By the end of the day, the water line is back to where it started. Believing they knew roughly where the treasure might be, the team dig a second tunnel from which they planned to dig across to the first one once they had reached the required depth of 110 feet or so but the crew only make it as far as 12 feet before their access pit is also completely flooded. Having run out of money, the Onslow company is forced to give up. And so the pit's secrets will remain, submerged by water for the next 40 years. As for the stone with its peculiar coded markings, it is left in the possession of John Smith, the landowner and one of the pit's original discoverers. However, believing it to be worthless, the code is never deciphered and the stone soon forgotten about. By 1845, with Donald McInnes having died and John Smith vowing never to waste another cent on the hopeless venture, it is left to the third of the original finders, Anthony Vaughan, to take up the reins. Now in his 60s, Vaughan, together with another seven investors, forms the Truro Syndicate, 
and by 1849 finally secures the rights to start his own attempt to locate the treasure. That summer, the largest team yet sets up camp and immediately gets to work draining the pit. After two weeks, they have drained it to within five feet of the bottom. Returning the following day, however, the crew is devastated to find that once again, the waters have returned. But this time, they have a new plan. After constructing a wooden platform over the pit, a large drill is dropped into it, with the hope of at least determining what materials are buried further down. They will not be disappointed. Passing the bottom of the hole, marked by the shelf of timber 90 feet down, they drill on to roughly 115 feet. Deciding they have gone deep enough, the crew watch with bated breath as the device is withdrawn from the depths and pulled finally into the light of day. Just as the last section is removed, something sparkles in the light. The foreman hurriedly inspects the drill head and is astounded to find three small links of a gold chain, as well as fibres of oak, suggesting the high likelihood that the drill had broken through the walls of some kind of chest. Finally, they had found it. Getting it out would be another matter entirely. Owing to the incessant flooding of water, just as the Onslow team had realised, their best chance was to access it from a parallel shaft. Believing the treasure to be roughly 110 feet down, incredibly the team managed to dig a secondary channel to 109 feet and are even able to start tunnelling across before disaster strikes again. And just as if something had been suddenly uncorked, water rushes into the pit. But as the team regroups to assess their options, one of the men notices something interesting. The water is rising and falling with the tide. Tasting it, he is amazed to find it is salty, suggesting that rather than being the water table, it must be coming from the sea. A hundred metres to the east of the dig site lies Smith's Cove, named after one of the area's earliest known settlers, Edward Smith, sometime in the mid-1700s. Being the closest stretch of coastline to the pit, the crew naturally assume it to be the most likely source of the floodwater. With the beach being fairly small, the chief engineer suggests they construct a dam to better see what they are dealing with. Making quick work, it isn't long before they have blocked off the cove and drained it completely of water. What they discover next astounds them. The floor of the inlet is found to be completely covered with coconut fibre and eel grass, under which they find beach stones carefully laid out. The cove it transpires has been synthetically constructed, and underneath all the rocks, finally they find the source of all their problems. It is some kind of booby trap made from a series of 8-inch wide drains of flat stone, fanning out like five fingers into the ocean. Together, the drains converge into one single drainage channel that disappears underneath the island, 
heading straight for the excavation site. The team immediately gets to work locating the main drainage tunnel in the hope of blocking it off completely. Yet another shaft is dug, 12 feet to the east of the original, revealing an underground channel of water 35 feet down. Next, timbers are driven into the ground to block it off, and when a fourth borehole, 20 feet to the south of the original, is dug to 110 feet with no sign of water, it appears their plan is working. Finally, with no danger of water making it past the blocking timbers, the team are ready to dig through to the treasure. All is going well when within two feet of the original shaft, workers tunnelling through the clay on their knees in the dark notice the walls have become wet. And soon their knees are damp, and before long, their feet and calves are drenched too. The tunnel is filling with water. Mercifully, the workers are able to scramble out and get back to the surface before it is too late, while the rest of the team watch with sinking hearts as one by one the three surrounding boreholes steadily fill up with water. After trying again to unsuccessfully find the central flood tunnel, the Truro Company's hunt for treasure is also forced to come to an end. In 1857, John Smith becomes the second of the three original Oak Island treasure hunters to die. Ownership of his land is passed from his sons, who, having watched the fabled treasure pit steadily ruin their father, are only too happy to sell it on to a Henry Stephen, who in turn sells it to local landowner Anthony Graves. The Truro Company return in 1859 for one final stab, but their considerable efforts will once again prove futile. However, rumours about the island's apparent treasure are beginning to grow, and within two years, a new crop of hunters arrive on the island, ready to claim its reward. The Oak Island Association, led by Jotham McCulley, draft in over 60 men and 30 horses to assist them as well as employing the latest mining technology from an iron pump engine to industrial-sized winches and pulley systems. However, their heavy-handed approach, digging three further holes and tunnels around the original pit, results in yet more flooding and the eventual collapse of the original shaft, resulting in only the upper 30 feet of it now being accessible. In the process of re-excavating the original pit, the pump boiler ruptures, spraying scalding water onto a nearby worker and burning him to death. But what's worse, from the perspective of the Oak Island Association, is that they are running out of money, and with news of the fatal accident now spreading, there is little hope of raising fresh capital. A short time later, however, with work halted, Jotham McCulley hears a story about one of the first artefacts to be found in the original pit. A mysterious stone, inscribed with a strange cryptic message. What's more, as rumour would have it, the stone is still on the island, having apparently been integrated into John Smith's old fireplace. Wasting no time, 
Macaulay, whose company now owns the property, takes a chisel to the fireplace and sets about removing it piece by piece. He hasn't been working long when he spots one particular slab a little smoother than the others, pressed into the wall at the back. Freeing it up, he turns it around to find, much to his amazement, a strange cryptic message etched onto the other side of it. Realising it might be their last chance, Macaulay has the stone loaded onto a horse and cart and dispatched immediately to Halifax, the nearest major city. For the next few weeks, the curious stone is placed in the window of a bookshop to drum up interest in the Oak Island treasure hunt in an effort to sell more shares to keep the company going. Many come to view the peculiar artefact and attempt to decipher the code, but no one can crack it. Regardless, excitement generated by the stone's mysterious origins is enough to raise another $2,000, what equates to roughly $50,000 today, enabling the Oak Island Association to continue their search for a few more years. However, like all who had come before them, the company will fail, becoming the third formal syndicate forced to admit defeat in the search for what many have come to believe is the lost treasure of pirate Captain William Kidd. A short time later, the stone is brought to the attention of James Leachy, a professor of languages at Halifax's Dalhousie University. A keen amateur cryptographer, Leachy sets about trying to decipher the message. Assuming it to be a simple substitution code, whereby each symbol simply represents a letter of the English alphabet, it is not long before Leachy believes he has cracked the code. The message, he believes, reads, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. Part 2 of Into the Abyss will be released on Wednesday, 12th of September. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or on Twitter at unexplainedpod. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungle's closing in? You crave wide-open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, Land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to Land.com, find your open space, and get out there. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.